This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. With me, as always, is my producer and partner in crime, Brent Van Tassel, and I am your host, the narrator, and the author of Mindframe, David Moten. Um, we are a member of the Podbelly Podcast Network, and in fact, we are a Podbelly original. So if you like what you hear here, then go there to podbelly.com and check out uh, other podcasts that are listed there, as well as some tutorials, tips and tricks, and ideas on how you should um, podcast. We are brought to you by El Yucateco, the king of flavor, as they say. Um, we... Uh, have them as our primary sponsor, not just because they're helping to pay the bills, but because we genuinely, genuinely love them. Um, we agreed early on, uh, before we even started this podcast, that we're not really going to deal with any sponsors unless it's something that we truly love and that we truly support. Um, and we do both love and support El Yucateco. So whatever level of spice you like in your spiciness, uh, they've got a flavor for you. So check them out. That's El Yucateco. You can get a great gear from their website and get stuff from there. And if you like what you're hearing, if you like the show, um, first and foremost, give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us a share. But also if you want to donate uh, some money to keep the, the trains moving, um, you can go to patreon.com slash mindframepodcast. Uh, where you can become a patron and get various uh, treats and tricks. The the biggest benefit that you'll get, of course, is the sit-down episodes that we still record for every single episode. So if you liked those very first couple a million years ago, um, we still do them every single week. Uh, so go check it out. Go to patreon.com. There's also different tiers, great t-shirts, etc. Uh, but that's patreon.com backslash mindframe podcast. So this episode is chapter 17. And chapter 17 sees us revisit Teddy down in the valley. We left Teddy and he was uh, getting a visit from his old friend and mentor, Mac, who helped to train him and helped him survive through the labor camps in the Philippines during World War II. And towards the end of the chapter, Mac was, was pushing pretty hard to get Teddy to quit what he was doing and come and help him build the St. Louis Arch. And uh, that's kind of where we, we pick up. Um, as you'll see right away, Mac has gone home. And we're going to see where Teddy is and where his uh, next adventures take him. So give it a listen. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 17. Teddy. Circa 1960. Teddy walked into the construction trailer, feeling refreshed. He'd had his first good night's sleep in several days now that Mac had left, and Teddy got his bed back. For some reason, sleeping near the old man brought back horrible memories from the war. Mac's snore his smell, or his incessant ball-busting, something about his presence made the things Teddy spent more than a decade repressing all resurface. The horrors of stumbling upon the waxen pallor of dead bodies and the eternal starvation and misery of the labor camp. They were things he could discuss with nobody due to the lack of a common thread of understanding. Though to be honest, he wouldn't have discussed them even with someone who'd been there. He and Mac would remember some awful event at the same time and just share a look, a nod, an understanding. Brief body language said quite loudly that it was remembered and it was not going to be talked about. But last night he slept. Teddy drank a little Crown Royal and laid on his bed like a stone in a garden. There was the sound of television peeling off from the main house like a smell of something he'd grown fond of. There was warmth and whiskey and sleep. The war was 15 years away now, where it should be, walled off by America and colored television sets and a family living in Teddy's house. 
So this morning he was a new man as he walked to the main office trailer of his construction lot. The warped wooden stairs on the side of the trailer moaned a bit under Teddy's feet as he ascended them to the door. He was hit with the smell of coffee and the sound of staticky Sinatra on the radio. His goal was simple. Tell Kathy he was going to head to the dame, stay up in a refinished guest room as long as it took to finish her up. The rest of the jobs could be handled by various foremen and overseen by Kathy herself. Teddy planned to briefly mention that he'd also be flying to St. Louis for a vacation, lay the foundation of change, tease the distant possibility of it. He doubted he'd move to St. Louis. He'd visit, sure, crash with Mac for a while and see what the hell this gateway project was, but he couldn't just leave all of his contracts down here and walk away for good. Kathy was somehow on two phones at once, toggling between two conversations masterfully, taking notes on little squares of paper that she'd thrust at Teddy any second. Teddy grabbed a jelly-filled donut and poured a half a cup of coffee so it would be cooler faster. Loud diesel engines roared past, and the light of the room flicked from red to white tones as a cement truck spun outside like a barber's pole. Slipped just under her memo pad, Teddy saw half of an envelope sticking out. It was from the Alanco Brothers Construction. The Alancos used to work for Teddy, then grew to a team that subcontracted for him, and over the years they became his outright competition, if he had any real competition. It was addressed directly to Kathy, at her home address. It could be anything, really, the way she had always run the business, using various home addresses when their lead trailer would move from one spot to another and take the business address with it. But then again, it could be something. Kathy released her hold on one phone and then the other. She said, The old man is gone, I take it. I can tell from your shaved face and the whites of your eyes that you actually slept last night. In a bed. Mostly sober. Teddy laughed. Yep, he left yesterday afternoon. He had to go visit a niece of his through some family marriage and is off to St. Louis to start his arch. Dumbest thing I've ever heard of, but he's set to make a decent fold of cash. Teddy lied. He thought the whole thing was cool, but wanted to downplay it. He didn't know why he was suddenly so cautious, paranoid even, around Kathy. It was like Mac's advice not to trust her was somehow pushing his mind in a direction he had no desire to let it wander. He couldn't stop the suspicions. Didn't want to. Well, the gateway arch sounds important, Kathy said. Biggest thing of our generation. It was an odd moment of sincerity from Kathy, and it softened Teddy's paranoia. He said, maybe you're right big monument. He wants me to visit him out there, and I told him I would just as soon as I'm done working on the dame. I told Josephine that I'd be moving up there and staying in one of the guest wings until the construction is done. She has a lot of money to spend on that project, and I can't keep making the commute with all the snowstorms. Only going to get worse this deep into the winter. I figured by the time I'm done with that, I'll need a break and head to St. Louis. Kathy said, well, yes, on the Eleanor Gray. She's a great old hotel. Do what you have to do in order to get her fixed up. The sooner the better, so she's ready in time for spring vacations. St. Louis, not so much. I have no intention of running this place while you're traipsing around with that drunken fool. We have College Heights, plus three other subdivisions waiting for contracts. Nobody's going to sign with an absentee owner, gone to work on a hotel, and then vacationing. Maybe you're right, Teddy said, stuffing the rest of the donut in his mouth and pretending to read his messages. Kathy got back on the phone. Teddy couldn't locate a reason, but mistrust flowed from Kathy. It rose from her every pore like steam would from one of Teddy's crew if he worked in the winter with his shirt off. 
Petty could suddenly picture her stalling the other contracts to get him to stay, undermining his entire operation. Maybe he should make her a partner so the contracts could go through and he didn't need to worry about a secretary sabotaging his efforts to leave. But she'd probably be even more eager to keep him working if she was a partner and big money was on the line. And then there was that letter from the Elanco brothers. Were they trying to court her? Steal Teddy's business secrets, his new drywall techniques? He'd always trusted Kathy since he hired her. He trusted her, Junior, and Manny, and that was it. Everyone else in his entire life and career had been a flake or greedy or a liar. Well, except for Mac. Mac was his father, his brother, his trusted friend. Teddy remembered other times when Mac would tell him someone could not be trusted. Every single time, Teddy felt as if he suddenly saw a duplicitous facet to reality he'd been denied before. And every single time, the person he didn't trust ended up betraying him. Now, it was Kathy Botha. Whatever she was up to simply could not be trusted. Teddy, circa 2011. Teddy stood looking at the serenity of Lake Akunga. It was finally iced over for the winter. A hint of blue filtered up through the snow gathered on the frozen water, and the pines all looked like Christmas. Across the lake near a large mansion, a small cluster of children were practicing ice skating where someone must have shoveled the snow off to give them a graceful patch. He couldn't remember the drive up from the valley to the mountain, but he was sitting on the dock eating a sandwich in the cold. The dock had been shoveled, so it was the dry place to rest. His thermos held the heat just fine, so his coffee was warm. The lake was beautiful. Deeper, steeper mountains hung as a backdrop, and air crisp as club soda pierced his lungs with each breath. He felt as if he only ever came from Akunga, not his valley. Then he had to admit, if he felt this connection just to the lake, then it really was a good thing he'd come up here to stay. Teddy walked up the hill and away from Lake Akunga. He took the side road up toward the wonderful old hotel he'd only ever called the Dame. In recent phone messages and conversations, Josephine had been calling it the Eleanor Gray again, its proper name. He walked past the hotel's faded sign, which now looked like a sun-baked plank of cedar with a few stray scraps of paint lingering in grooves made by a router a few decades back. Teddy had drawn up plans to build an arch on stone pillars that said the Eleanor Gray in different colored rock or brick. He wanted to build one on the main road and another down where he was, near the lake's shore. They would last for decades. Stone didn't fade, and visitors would always be well-directed upon their future arrivals. That would be one of the final things he'd do up here on the old dame before he went to St. Louis and enacted his grand plan. But the first step of his grand plan was right now. Teddy needed to first walk up the road, announce himself, and then use Josephine's Jeep to plow a path for his truck to drive up. He didn't have a plow attached on his Bronco, so it must have been parked up on the main road. He couldn't remember parking it since he was so focused on the Kathy problem, but there was nowhere else he could have parked it. The snow was fresh and billowy, a powder instead of a slush. He was fairly unfamiliar with moving through snow. It was always warmer down in the valley, and it had never snowed in Al Jubail where he spent the war doing repair work in Saudi Arabia. Snow was always a novelty. He sometimes found it disturbing, as he did now. The dry snow crunched under his feet. The feel and the sound of it reminded him of someone chewing ice or the times he'd taken a bite off a hard popsicle. He hated the sensation. 
It was a thousand pinpricks of bad sensory input, a rattling that went from the soles of his feet all the way to his molars. His jaw hurt as his feet munched their way through the snow. He felt unnatural making that walk, like each disturbing step was pushing him into some new reality where something as simple as placing a foot forward was disconcerting. The way the fresh snow gave under his boots made him feel weightless, like he was drifting through space or floating on a lazy wave. The decision to move up here was an easy one, but suddenly, its weight made him question it. He felt as if he was leaving one reality and entering another, more profound one. Oddly, he had a glimpse of a flashback. He was surrounded by eight marines from Operation Desert Shield back in Saudi Arabia where he served to keep Saddam from taking Kuwait. Their rifles were drawn, H&K MP5s for close-quarter combat. They were protecting him as he went from the station to the ship, his skills and his destination being mission critical. Their intensity of posture and resolute dispositions indicated they would shoot to kill anyone who came near him, though he had the intense sense they wouldn't hurt Manny or Junior. As he marched toward the hotel, he saw the loose hem of his framer's robes getting covered in snow. He was surprised his slippers had stayed on while pulling his feet up and out of foot-high drifts, and he checked on his suddenly freezing cold feet. He was wearing tan Timberland construction boots and Levi 501s, not his framer's robes. Just ahead in the wide lawn between the tree line and the old dame was the framing chamber. Its pure white walls were seamless, no hint at a door. The purity of the thing made the fresh white snow seem like a muddy track on a construction site. There were eight more marines surrounding it. They weren't marines from Desert Shield, however. They were marines of the World Navy. Their leader saluted one of the men surrounding Teddy, and a conversation ensued. Teddy was struggling to find a now. This wasn't 1960, and it wasn't the 2011 he usually visited up here at the Dame. And that didn't make any sense anyway, did it? Why was it 2011? A Marine dressed in a black torsion skirt and full facial armor stepped into an alcove somewhere Teddy wasn't accustomed to being able to see. Teddy stood on the scanner, and the blue hum of a bioscan pulsed over his body three times. The air said, Framer, Theodore Brown. Framer, Akunga Station. All access granted. The framing chamber popped and hissed, and a seam materialized as the door revealed itself and opened. His retinue stood back, and the new marines moved forward. It all implied a transfer was taking place. Teddy walked into the framing chamber, since those were his orders, weren't they? There was Josephine, passively sitting on the edge of her cot. She wore her black robes, and her hair was pulled into a ponytail. She was looking at the ground, but she smiled a gentle smile that... Teddy knew was meant for him, her old friend, all the way back to when they were training for service in the Global Police Force Naval Division. That was so long ago. A different life. A different reality. Teddy noticed that a second cot had been added to this space, and he knew it was his. Her two attendants glistened in the air like cybernetic beetles, and he wondered how they were supposed to get along with Manny and Junior. They were dogs, right? In 2011? Kathy must have had him transferred to the framing chamber on board the Eleanor Gray. She had done it before on other ships, but always complained about it. It only happened when someone high-ranking demanded it. 
The door slid shut behind him as his own two attendants floated in above his head. When it hissed to indicate a seal had been established, there were no more questions of where or when he was. Reality was concrete and fixed and very, very welcome. He was pleased to find that he was standing in the field leading to the front porch of the dame. Manny and Junior were talking suddenly, laughing loudly and trying to out-belch each other. To be honest, he'd completely forgot that he brought them until this moment. Finally, he reached the threshold of the old dame. He crossed from snow to lumber, and just like that, things were as they should be. There was dry, solid ground beneath his feet. There was no snow on his boots since it was too dry to stick here, just solid wood underneath them. He took three steps up to the oversized patio, and his phone beeped at him. His ringtone for text was the guitar rift from a recent song called Stuck Like Glue by a band called Sugarland. He looked down, and it was Kathy. She texted him, You in there yet? He replied, Just, gonna settle in and work tomorrow. Kathy, don't get swallowed by the crazy, be the dominant one. He didn't like that. She always joked that Josephine was crazy, dismissed the pain, and the loss and the loneliness that she faced up here on the mountain. This was not her native home, the dame. She was from big cities back east, was wealthy, and lived here out of respect for the dead. Kathy wasn't winning any points. She should know by now that Teddy considered Josephine a friend more than a client. She should show some respect. Instead, she chose to snipe, to widen the gap he'd been feeling since Mac warned of her being an obstacle. The thought hung there in the air dry as snow. Teddy tried to push it from his mind. He couldn't. He texted her back. Have some respect. I'll tell her not to call you anymore for anything. Will that be better? Question mark. Kathy. Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. Frowny face. Teddy saw that he had five emails on his phone. He looked at the bars and saw that he only had one. Thank God. Once he was inside the dame structure, he wouldn't get any service at all. He'd be free from dealing with life down the mountain and could work, rebuild, construct. Suddenly, Manny and Junior were stomping their feet on the porch beside Teddy, his two assistants, always at his side. He knocked on the oversized front door. Two loyal dogs barked inside to say hello and welcomed him to what he could only describe as his new reality. So Teddy finally made his way into the dame, a.k.a. the Eleanor Gray, via a framing chamber in the lawn and life is back to normal. So keep tuning in to see uh, where Teddy is heading and what's up next um, in his arc of the storyline. In the meantime, um, we appreciate you listening. You can always go to mindframepodcast.com where we have a really cool merch store that's got some really great stuff, whether it's t-shirts or socks or coffee mugs or hats or whatever you're in the mood for, um, we've got it. And if we don't have it, you can message us and we'll make it happen. Um, also there, you can find a section with books. You can find my novel, 181 Pine, as well as the books of Zach Smith, who was the host for our sit-down episodes, um, and lots of other goodies on mindframepodcast.com. Also, uh, I want to shout out the fact that we are members of the Podbelly Podcast Network. And while you're there at podbelly.com, you can find some other really great podcasts such as Changing Hearts and Minds um, and The Breakers Podcast, which is another uh, fiction podcast. So if you're into fiction podcasts, Breakers is there in its full run so you can binge it and be happy in your ears. Um, also, 
check out the Sofa King podcast if you want a not safe for work, a funny look at research of various topics from serial killers to conspiracy theories to corporations and all things in between. Also, um, our partner on Sofa King podcast, Brad, has a podcast called Brewing the 99, which is a podcast about Magic the Gathering. So if you're known to tap some mana, then uh, tune in on that one because it's really an entertaining podcast on uh, specifically the commander format of Magic the Gathering. If you are on social media, which odds are you are, you can find us on Facebook at Mindframe Podcast, on Instagram at The Mindframe Podcast, on Twitter at The Mindframe Pod, and on Reddit at r slash Mindframe Podcast. So if, if you are a member of any of those platforms, please go in, subscribe, do a like, do a share. That does a, a great amount for any podcast. In fact, any podcast you listen to, go in, give them a like, give them a share. It goes a really long way. And also, um, if you happen to be cruising through iTunes at any point, um, feel free to go in and write a review for us. Five-star reviews really help uh, shows uh, make an impression on the social media world, and it would be appreciated um, in spades. So that's all for this week, and as always, remember, the Lariat is closing.